0: Welcome, everybody. Welcome again to the Kaiju Transmissions Podcast. I am Kyle Bird, and with me, of course, is, as always, Matt Parmley. Hello. Uh, Matt, we have a guest, a returning guest, uh, with us today. Um, Who do we have?
1: Mr. Chris Olio. Say hi, Chris. Hey, guys. How are you? Pleasure to be back. People would, uh, would remember him from giving Jurassic World whatever fallen kingdom <laughs> or whatever it was what what was it like three and a half stars or something i don't remember something
2: like now. that yeah yes you know <laughs> I, w- I was far too generous too I many be, stars I, I will be much more honest with this review and not <laughs> give the give the fun factor the benefit of the doubt you know chris
1: has all the stars he he knows all the all the stars and he gives them out what
2: can i say i'm just a positive guy <laughs>
0: uh <laughs> so this is this is interesting because this is very much uh our first time having, I guess, a guest reviewer that is for the recent Broadway stage production of King Kong. Um, Chris, before we get into the meat of our main topic, um, I know that you're very active um, with your wheelin' and dealin', so are there any events or anything that you're going to be a part of or you want to plug real quick?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's been a bunch of shows Uh, lately I've been doing, uh, several conventions, and uh, we have an event coming up on December 5th here in New York City in Staten Island. Uh, We're going to do our fourth annual Godzilla Day at Comic Book Jones, and shout out to Socko and the team over at Comic Book Jones, who always make it a home for uh, fans of all types of genres and and comics and, and pop culture stuff. So they will be hosting us again, and we'll have a setup of awesome godzilla toys and we have a very special guest uh the amazing jeff Zornow now will be there and he'll be doing commissions and having original prints there uh, on display as well as other prints and signings so um come on down it's december 5th from eight thirty 30 a- no 10 a.m i'm sorry until eight thirty p.m and it's a great time people just come in the shop talk kaiju and monsters and this is a fun day out in general so uh come and come and meet jeff and Come and check out some cool toys, and check out, of course, comic book Jones. So,
0: all right, yeah, New why? Yorkers, get on it. Go visit Chris. Say hi. Throw him some money. Buy some. Yeah, stuff. Chris
2: is going to slang some deals. Yeah. Well, <laughs> here's <laughs> You hope that people have fun. If nothing else, that's that's
0: all I can hope for. All right. Now, Chris is in New York, and so he was able to attend. And uh, yeah, this is an event that's gotten a lot of press. And uh, there's definitely some history here, going back a few years to when it it's a, uh, origin in uh, Australia. Um, but, uh, yeah, we figured, hey, someone could come and talk about this. And um, King Kong is a character that we've seen in many different mediums on film as stop-motion or a man in a suit or cgi uh cartoons comic books video games um but never uh, on stage in a live production as a gigantic puppet so um yeah this is our first and will probably be our only review of a play um so, uh Until Godzilla musical, of course, you know. <laughs> somewhere down
2: the road, maybe, you know.
0: Yeah. Didn't someone try to do a Godzilla stage production at one point?
2: Oh, I don't know, to be honest. I've never heard of it. I think
0: it was that. like some rinky dink thing. I, I I don't think it was like a big it was nothing like this. I, I think it was something like it was like a romantic play, uh where um I, I think it was an all human cast. I don't know. It, I, it was How so bad. Lo- I, hey, I, w- maybe we'll dig up some uh, some information on that and and post it on our Facebook group or something. It's been so it's been years since anything like that was like coming through my newsfeed. So I'll, I'll have to double check. But yeah, I, I don't think it was anything. Like, uh, actually, like I
1: have break—not breaking news. I just Google foo. There, it was a parody thing. I, I don't know. I'm trying to figure this out, Bird. You sent me down a rabbit hole, is what you did.
0: Yeah, it was. It was something. It was like a weird. I think it was like a weird kind of meta, like parody thing. I don't know, but uh, I mean, I'm sure people who know about it are getting frustrated with our, our ignorance of it, so we should just move along. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, um, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, there's, there hasn't been a whole lot of stuff on the stage uh, and theater front for, for kaiju fans. Um, I know uh, Shinpei Hayashiya, in his performances will bust out, you know, his Godzilla masks and... Oh, yeah,
2: and and it's, it's like something that. to see it, too. I mean, when he does the, the Rakugo, we, I mm-hmm. got a chance to see one of his um, shows once, and it was, uh, it was very entertaining. It was very funny. I mean, unfortunately, you're there and you really don't understand what, what they're saying, but, like, the crowd just erupts in laughter, and it seemed everybody was having a good time, but uh, it's kind of cool to see him to, to do that. And I know he posts a lot of pictures online
0: Yeah, well. and, and the, the Rakugo, that's kind of... It's not like stand-up comedy, but basically he tells like funny entertaining stories throughout like an yeah. evening, right? Yeah,
2: more or it's less. It's like a storytelling kind of vaudeville-esque kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Um and then uh in the early 2000s there was a in Japan there was a Human Vapor show uh starring Kumi Mizuno. Of oh, I didn't know that. Yes, awesome. yes sir. I don't know much about it. I just saw like the a picture of the theater flyer or whatever, but, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's a whole lot of info in English, but it's a, a thing that happened, um, so with King Kong, um, this is definitely like, uh, one of, one of the most beloved American stories, so it's not really a surprise that someone would turn it into, uh, a stage production, um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it uh, a little bit of the history there and um we'll get into how it compares to other versions of the story and the characters uh
1: so it originated in melbourne australia uh with director daniel kramer and it took five years to develop with uh, three years of auditions and workshops before any of the performance could actually begin there's a score by uh marius devries am i even saying
0: that name right yeah various devries devries i don't know whether i'm not good with french names because of their s's but well
1: i'm not good with we're any close names
0: enough <laughs> if <did> this part <laughs> sure. of the course um
1: the lyrics were written by michael mitnick and craig lucas and actually uh sarah mclaughlin who was famous for making everyone cry during dog videos <laughs> uh <laughs> she <laughs> also wrote some songs uh and, and lyrics for some of the music um there's some other ones, Guy Garvey, um, there's some electronic artists, Justice, and the Avalanches are some other groups involved. Uh, the, the musical is based on the novelization of the film, which is actually in public domain, so that's why they were able to do without dealing with all the rights fiasco. Um, and then the Broadway version of the film is directed, or the film, Broadway version of this is directed by uh, Drew McOnie, who... He got a rewrite by Jack Thorne, um, who was part of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, and the Broadway version spent about five years in redevelopment.
0: Yeah, and uh, the Broadway version uh, is—I think the the songs uh, were um, done by—I think it—I think it's all, if not mostly, new songs um, by an Australian artist named Eddie Perfect. Who I've never heard of, but. Um, I think the big thing... Well, the big thing to talk about here, no pun intended, is Kong himself, which... um, And we'll get into Chris. It seems like Chris here, his thoughts are very similar to a lot of the reviews out there, which are very mixed, but mostly the play itself isn't really the best, but Kong uh, is something pretty incredible. Um, And uh, this... Quality be damned, uh, the, this puppet for Kong is, is really being talked about as a really kind of pushing the boundaries of what's possible in a stage production. Um, so, so this version of Kong is a giant puppet, uh, about 20 feet tall, 2,000 pounds, created by global creatures who I think most people know from those live Walking with Dinosaurs shows. Um, And they drew inspiration from different sources, uh, like um, Japanese Bunraku Puppet Theater, uh, where the audience sees the puppeteers. Um, His design was partially inspired by Hanuman, the Hindi monkey king. And the puppet itself was made, uh, it had a steel skeleton with a carbon fiber skull. Uh, its chest and abs and muscles had inflatable airbags, um, so you can see movement under the flesh. Um, the arms and legs were operated with these inflatable high-pressure tubes, so that risks, that minimized the risk for puppeteers, um, but yeah, they just deflate those tubes and he kinda, like, collapses so they can move him around, um... Uh, he was operated by about 10 uh, on-stage puppeteers uh, three animatronic remote control operators off the stage this is in addition to other automation operators and movement directors several puppeteers uh, you know would be positioned on swinging trapezes and they would launch themselves as counterweights off the puppet's shoulders to raise his arms when he runs and swats at the planes and stuff um, Kong's vocals his breathing his roars are all done by someone off stage using a voice modulator um and there's a lot of clips of there's more clips of the the puppet than there are of the player i mean it's it's, which is
2: probably for its benefit yeah (laughs) (laughs)
0: um but this this kong puppet is getting a lot of press and i I mean it's really incredible the the face is super (laughs) expressive and um so, uh, yeah, I mean, this thing has a budget, uh, this play had a budget of about $35 million, which is pretty insane. Um, More than a lot of movies. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, but, yeah, so, so now we'll get into uh, Chris's experience. Um, now, Chris, uh, do you have any real previous experience with the theater or Broadway or anything like that?
2: Yeah, um, my mom always was a really big fan growing up um, of going to Broadway. You know, we would always make it a point of like once a year trying to go see a play in the city just to have that experience. Um, She was a big fan of musicals, so I was very much from a young age exposed to that. And, uh, you know, while my heart was always more into the film aspect of things, I definitely have a love of musicals and plays as well. Um, While I don't see a lot of them, again, Broadway shows can be very expensive sometimes, um the the experience of going to them especially when you go to some place i mean it's just the acting abilities of of the performers and just the music and everything it's it's such a magical experience when you're there because you have just everything's happening at once and it's just so seamless and and wonderful um and again you know also kind of a little comparing and contrasting with what being seen seen king kong on broadway you know i uh some years ago i'd seen little shop of horrors which kind of had a similar thing with a giant puppet of the audrey two and stuff like that so it was kind of for me interesting to look back and say okay you know how is that kind of so much better in, in so many ways than what unfortunately king kong is you know but um so i've i've seen them uh all my life so it's it's one of those i, I it's not like i went into it with like a preconceived notion of anything so to speak
0: okay did you see the the crazy spider-man one where like every day an actor was like swinging into <laughs> a wall and getting hospitalized
2: <laughs> you know it's funny because when it first was announced and you know the thought of it was like yeah i really wanted to go see it. i you know being a big spider-man fan and you know being a marvel fan specifically i was like yeah let me go see it and then like I just the word of mouth was just so bad, and I I never wound up seeing it. But I know people that saw it, just both from somebody that liked comics and someone that just you know, the lay person that just went there to just hey, let's just see what this is about. And I heard it was such a hot mess. So I, <laughs> I think the insurance company probably eventually shut that whole thing down. I, I
0: remember just like every day almost, it <laughs> there was some article about someone breaking their bones and <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> It was it was pretty insane. Um well, luckily <laughs> this this one uh doesn't seem to have as many in- injuries. Uh okay, so um okay, so you you have a, a knowledge of 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 musicals and theater and of course um you know, I, I you're obviously a big fan of music and I mean film music in general the the Fukube concerts that that you help produce so so you're you're coming at this from a a place of of knowledge uh so I think that yeah I'm really excited to get into your thoughts and um we were re- I was really like I read a whole bunch of stuff about this production uh and um the Australian version and this version and uh When we get into that, I'm going to have some questions. Because there are some things that I think sound like really good ideas uh, and changes to the story on paper. But I know from things you've hinted at here and also before we started, it it doesn't sound like it it really all worked, at least for you. Um, So... Uh, you and a group of friends went to one of the preview shows. What about a month ago? A little more than a month ago, right?
2: Yeah, about early October. Um, so, when any Broadway show comes out for the first time, there's what's called previews, which is usually like about a few weeks, about a month, technically before a show takes place, and I, it's a way of you know critics seeing it, um, and you know also I think it's a little bit way to kind of work out the kinks here and there because, uh, for example um, like you brought up before Spider-Man turn off the dark had tons of things. And they went into like, almost like a shutdown mode, I believe at one point to kind of redo everything. And, you know, again, people were getting hurt and it was a safety, uh, issue. Um, so with Kong, it was, um, it was interesting cause it was really packed. Um, I went with George Taylor, Chris Canale and Abel Alfonso. And, you know, we're all friends at G-Fest. So it was kind of like a nice little, like G-Fest mini reunion. Um, and we actually wound up going to the very first preview of of Kong on Broadway, um, which was also because it was the cheapest. Because tickets were like, if you didn't go like the first week to previews, once it went into like full blown, like okay, it's it's officially released. I mean, it was like four hundred dollars, five hundred dollars a ticket. So you know? it's it,
0: actually cheaper to go to the the preview screen uh, show. It can be sometimes yeah.
2: because especially, I and mean, I think with a play like Kong. Because it will have so much buzz on it because of the the effects and stuff like that. You know people once that buzz happens, even like, for example, look at Hamilton, you know that was a new show that came out. And just when people were just saying how great it was, boom, ticket sales went up. And again, the popularity of a show, uh, it always means that. And sometimes you, it's it's very hard to get tickets to to a show that's that popular at the time. So if you don't go sometimes sooner, the longer you wait, the less chances you have. And then, of course, casting changes sometimes. So if you want to see a specific actor in that role, you know, it's all a matter of timing how you, how you can get tickets.
0: Hmm. Uh, okay. So when you went into Kong, uh, what were your expectations like? Well,
2: I had heard about the play some years ago, probably around 2013, 2014. And, you know, I knew it was in Australia, like you were mentioning, they did a production over in London, I think shortly after that. And, you know, I was trying to figure out an excuse to go to London to kind of see it because it just so intrigued me so much. And at the time, there were very short clips on YouTube about the puppet, and I remember coming across. I was like, "What is this King Kong musical thing?" Oh, what is this? Not? And I looked into it, and it just looked so awesome. From a, the puppet was so expressive, and it really blew me away. Just the few minutes I saw of it, and then when I had heard uh, they were developing it here for Broadway, you know, I was, of course, very excited. And it was a long wait. Um, I mean, I had, in terms of like obscure stuff, like we were talking about before back when peter jackson's kong came out there were a bunch of uh king kong related events in the city and actually there was a there was a stage play of king kong that i attended but it was more like a live radio dramatization of, of the actual story and it was really cool uh very much in line with the 1933 film uh so you know again that it wasn't the same experience as saying seeing this one but you know what I, I wanted to see this play and and When I was researching when it was coming out, I said, "Okay, it's coming out in November." But then, you know, again, unfortunately, ticket sale prices was too expensive, so we all kind of coordinated the four of us to kind of go see it, and we said, "You know what? Let's just." It just kind of worked out the way, just seeing the very first show. But it was it was a packed house, and what was really interesting was, you know, you got there, and and I think from a, a standpoint of someone that loves the original film. You know, all of the font and the graphic design of, of the play is very 1930s style. And it it was really cool being in there. You know, they they had all these different merchandising and stuff like that in that kind of style. So, you know, people were just it was just kind of cool that there was a lot of fans there. And then, you know, you get the person that walks into the play and we're like, oh, that guy's got a famous monster shirt on. They must be a nerd like us. So it was kind of cool to see so many different people and, and a lot of families too, believe it or not. A lot of kids were at the show. And I think that was one of the things that I really enjoyed was just, you know, you'd hear and see like the families in front of you and the kids just get so excited when Kong came on. Because at the end of the day, again, we'll, we'll get more into this as we progress, but the experience of seeing Kong alone is worth the price of admission, if nothing else. I mean, if, if you take nothing else away from the, the play, that, seeing that puppet blows you away. It's just, it's fantastic
1: that seems to be the common reading some of the reviews like that's pretty much what everybody said and this is the puppet really steals the show but there, the other stuff is kind of where it falters yeah
0: <laughs> my favorite was a review that said uh watching it is like be- <laughs> being uh put on hold <laughs> like when you're t- c- calling tech support or something <laughs> 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 like whenever kong's not on on the stage it's like you're being put on hold mm-hmm. um Okay, so so what were your? Well, I guess we'll 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 break it down more and get into characters and the music and uh, the puppet and changes and you know there's a lot to break down there. Uh, but just what were your overall thoughts walking away from it? Was it? It sounds like you're in line with a lot of the the reviews that are out there um, in that you know the puppet's incredible, but everything else is average to or even below average.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's safe to say that we all kind of walked out of the theater in a sense of, like, you're in that early digestion period when you see anything. I think whether it's a movie, a play, and you're just kind of getting the feel of, like, okay, you know, it, it, if it didn't instantly hit you, like, wow, that was amazing. You're kind of just th- thinking about it and and kind of dissecting it. And my first kind of thought was, well, that was disappointing. <laughs> you know, And it was sad because I was really, really looking forward to this for a long time. And I was hoping that it would have kind of worked on some level as a musical, as a play, as an adaptation specifically of the, of the story. But, you know, my takeaway was, OK, I'm here in the city. We just saw this amazing practical effects, giant puppet by a team of just brilliant puppeteers that are on the stage constantly. They're all you know dressed in black. So they're, 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 they try to kind of blend in with Kong. Uh, But again, sometimes they're they're physically there because there's actually on his on his back where his spine would be. There's actually a ladder, so sometimes the puppeteers will walk up to the ladder and they'll actually climb into Kong and move him uh, and do various um, different poses. Um, And then you know, I was just saying, okay, I'm here with like some of my very best friends from G Fest, so you know, I try to take a a somewhat of a positive spin. Although I was very disappointed because I expected it to be better.
0: No, that makes sense to me with th- with this version it sounds like they they kept the 30s setting um, but they they radically altered some things uh so just what what's our cast like here um, um I'm I haven't seen them in anything before
2: um I know the lead that plays Andaro uh Christiani Pitts um she was recently in the adaptation of a Bronx Tale um, Carl Denham is a guy named Eric William Morris. And there's also the character of, um, I don't know why, but Lumpy plays a big role in the play and it was kind of an odd choice. It looks um, like
0: that for, was a, I'm on the Wikipedia right now. It looks like that was an addition for this version. It looks like that wasn't in the, uh, the Australian one.
2: Yeah. Cause apparently and we were talking about this previously, like there was, um, for the Australian version there was a love interest character for Andaro i specifically i'm guessing it would have been a jack driscoll right character. yeah yeah
0: jack driscoll was in that version but he's not here which is actually this is what i said about some interesting ideas and changes uh because i mean king kong is i mean for as brilliant and amazing as that film is and as much as it holds up the there's a very there's some very casual sexism and racism uh of the time that permeates uh, through it so I, I think having Im- just omitting the Jack character completely uh, is actually a pretty interesting choice now I mean we, when we get a little more in depth uh, you know you you can talk about whether or not that worked for for the character of Anne um. But yeah, it sounds like uh, we got the skipper also, and is that like basically? Anglehorn is there. Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, one of my big criticisms of of this incarnation is, in some ways, and again, I'm I'm probably in the minority based on you know what you see on Facebook. Uh, for the most part, I absolutely love Peter Jackson's Kong, despite it being an uh, sometimes overbloat film and 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 there's mm-hmm. just too much going on and and, and unnecessary characters. But I enjoy it too. To, They've taken they, the character of Carl Denham and Captain Englehorn specifically, I felt were really channeling the that particular adaptation. Like they were, it was very very similar.
0: Well, and Lumpy the Cook is a character, an original it's, character to the the Jackson version as well.
2: Right, and he's not so much like Andy Circus was in the film. He was the most different, but you know the Carl Denham is very Jack Black esque, like almost to the point where he sounds like Jack Black at times. And Captain Englehorn has that same kind of style of uh, was it Thomas Kretschmann. Yeah. Thomas Kretschmann, I'm sorry, yeah, yeah. who played him? So there was that similar element that I was like, eh, of all the things you'd want to be similar with that film for, I was hoping that wasn't one of them. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, you know, any cue they would take from that movie, I think, out of all the versions of King Kong that are out there, the connection between Andaro and Kong in that film is perhaps the best of all. Next to, of course, Faye Ray.
0: Yeah, the that that one really took the Beauty and the Beast theme and ran with it, uh, which, from my understanding, is this play does that as well. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, but not really. <laughs> okay, well, 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 yeah. Let's get into into that. Um, well, we'll get into that in a minute. I want to kind of hear more about how um, uh, this. Uh, version of is this version of Carl Denham um, how is he different is he, is he different from any of the previous versions that we've, we've had in some ways um, what's
2: interesting is I guess expositionally to set everything up they actually don't meet at the fruit stand like they do in all the other versions um, the opening number is is actually probably the best music in the entire play because most of the music, I, I'm sorry, it, it was horrible. Um, but the opening number for this instantly drew me in. It was great because you instantly get this. Okay, here's the here's the depression. You know, New York's being built up, and you see kind of the people struggling. You know, actors trying to perform. You get introduced to Ann Darrow, You see it within like two minutes. Boom! All this 1930s era depression era exposition is done. You get introduced to Ann. It's like boom! Brilliant. Great. And then it just slows after that. It's like this great high, and they just don't keep up with it. So then you follow a scene where, obviously, Anne Darrow gets rejected a lot from parts. And she's you know, trying to be an independent woman. She's trying to be a successful actress. And you know, she's just getting rejection after rejection. Uh, we wind up in the diner setting, and uh, Carl Denham is, meets her basically there when a guy, um, I believe it was a, like a sailor or someone, was trying to hit on her. And Anne kind of fights back and shows she's got some sass, and kind of catches the uh, eye of Carl Denham. And we kind of introduced to him more as like he's a down and out character. He's like, oh, I got this play, and you know, I have to put it on, but I have no lead. And then he offers her the lead, and you know, she reluctantly agrees. And then from there, we kind of go into the venture. He's very much more the villain in this play. He's more vilified than Robert Armstrong was, uh, much more in the line of what we saw with Jack Black or with Charles Grodin, Uh, that particular character. Um, The interesting thing about this version, it's the only version of the story where in the end, Carl Denham gets arrested, which Mm. I thought was an interesting very choice because it's just like once Kong escapes and he's just kind of there like in shock, oh my God, what have I done? You see like the police come up and they actually handcuff him and they take him off stage and that's where that um, act ends, so to speak. So that, I thought that was an interesting thing because we we never actually see for the most part what happens to Carl Denham. That's true. I mean, Son of Kong being the exception, you know.
0: Um, okay. Uh, well, I, I do want to get into just—I'll probably just give you have you give us a rundown of just the story in the similar vein to how you just did. Um, but yeah, I, I want to kind of um, get through uh, our cast first. Um, did this bother to do anything different with Lumpy the cook? It, Lumpy
2: was, I mean, he, he didn't have like the, you know, kind of Cockney accent of, of Andy Circus, And he wasn't this you know, he was the cook, but he was more just, he was played straight. Lumpy's a lot more of like, how should I describe it? He's kind of like, he watches out for Ann and he, he kind of looks at her as a surrogate daughter. So there is an attempt at a connection there that's a little deeper, where it's like you know you remind me of a of a kid I used to have, and you know they give Lumpy a little bit more of a backstory, but it it, it just doesn't mesh. well. it just I felt like it was kind of there just for filler, mm-hmm. and he plays more of a role, you know, just with her on the ship, and once um, she's back in New York and agreeing to you know be a part of, of the stage play of putting King Kong on display.
0: All right. And so then
2: slightly different than, right. than what we've seen.
0: And then Englehorn, anything interesting or noteworthy not, about? Not how really. I mean, it's,
2: it's, it's very, you know, Englehorn's very much out for himself. He's not the, the jolly good captain from the original film or anything. He's just, he's very, you know, ordery. He's very, um, you know, kind of crass and, and you know, it's, it's, it's very, very similar. I felt to, uh, to the 2005 version uh, of how he was portrayed Mm -hmm. you know
0: okay and then obviously i'm saving the big one for last and that is and darrow uh and um just from what i was reading about it uh not so much doesn't sound like so much the australian version but the broadway version uh really is kind of uh attempting at least to recontextualize the character um, not tying her down to Jack. And uh, this is the first time Anne has been af- an African American woman. So um, I know there's a little bit that that you kind of talked to us about earlier, but i'm I'm more interested in, you know, getting deeper into your thoughts about um, the changes made to Anne, where they work, where they don't work, and ultimately, um, is there an added, Layer of context to the character now that she has been changed to being a black woman.
2: No, I mean for for any viewer, I think it shouldn't matter the actor or actress's skin color. I think always the right role should go to any particular actor, regardless of those things, and it should always be the best person for the part. Uh, here with Kong, though, uh, with the fact that it is an African American actress, now you know they don't really delve into what it was like for an African-American woman in the 1930s uh, struggling to kind of create her own career path and be a strong, independent woman. Uh, They don't really kind of go down that road, it's just more from a general uh, female perspective. But The real issue here with the Ann Darrow part is that she really has no connection, emotional attachment to Kong. And I think that's very much, you can blame that on the writing and the direction. I don't. I didn't see her in a Bronx house. So it's it's Hargus is the only thing I've seen her in mm-hmm. as an actress, uh, and I'm sure she's good in other roles. It, this role in particular, it just it, it's a it's a very very difficult role. I think for any actress, just by how the way the play is formed. What I really like is the fact that it's very much taken from Anne's perspective, and I think a lot of the things I read about prior to the play, I was like, you know, I I like that it's very much her point of view. And I was I, I think having not the Jack Driscoll character, it definitely worked for this version because you're already at you know a two and a half hour you know standard Broadway time it just it would have added too much mm-hmm. and I think it's probably for the best it was omitted and I, I I think that sh- having her introduced so quickly in in the opening number and you get the sense of okay, this is who she is it's it's was a great introduction to her unfortunately. The role and and this is not just Anne Darrow's character, but I think all of the human characters for the most part are are just they're really cheesy and hokey at times, and I wish they were played a little bit more straight and streamlined, and maybe that was an improvisation, maybe that's just the way they they went over it in rehearsal that's I, I don't know you know, and not having read the script it's hard to tell um. I think one of the biggest problems with this incarnation of Andaro is I, there is no way that any relationship with Kong seems tangible or believable. It just sadly doesn't work, um, and I wanted it to because I I, I think that's such an important part of, of the original story um, to have that you know Beauty Beast connection with us. You know there is a respect and there's genuinely a care for for him. Um, one of the one of the most effective scenes they have together is shortly after and it's something we never saw before and I thought it was a bold decision on the on the plays part where he's just escapes and he's reunited with Anne. He basically gives her the cold shoulder. You know, and she's trying to like you know, apologize to him. He's just like, nah, go away, You're like I'm like captured and you know, you you kinda did this to Ezo. It's almost like he blames her and I, I thought that was such an interesting interesting choice because you never really see Kong do that, or, or or feel like you know blaming somebody essentially for what happened to him, being removed from his island. Um, she's got a great voice, which uh, her Christiana Pitts, Pitts uh, yeah. really beautiful singing voice. It just the 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 songs in general, ah, they just they're real, they're rhymed really simple, and they they're not catchy. And, and aside from the musical number, of the opening of the prologue um you know there's some there's some big songs like queen of new york and you know building of the boat and, and, and all these things they just it just doesn't work you know and, and it's it's it comes across as very forced and i i wish and again could be that the, the particular version that i saw the preview's version maybe they worked out certain things and they they changed things based on you know reaction and, and seeing how the crowd you know, went to it, but it just doesn't seem to kind of go anywhere. And that's, that's that's for me, was very sad because she was there and, you know, she didn't do a whole lot, the character itself of Anne. And you want to know more about her. I mean, they, they definitely go in line with what we know. You know, she, she's kind of a loner, doesn't have too much family, just wants to, you know, make it into the industry and, you know, be a, be a very successful person. But it just kind of done in like a very dry, slower way where, you know, I, I thought they could have gotten to the point of things quicker. But they, they kind of took their time slower, kind of like what you were saying before, but that review where you're just you're just kind of, how, how kind long of waiting the for the show. Out of curiosity, about two and a half hours. OK, you know, there's an intermission in, in the middle of it. But um, I'll say that it slows down once they meet and they go on the venture. It's the ventures way too long or at this case, it's not the venture. It's the, uh, the wanderer based on the novel. But I mean, uh, it, it, it it was hard. It was a, it's a hard part. I think for any actress to, to play this particular incarnation of Anne because I think trying to take a modern twist, which I thought is a good decision. It just, it's not written well and it doesn't ultimately hold up.
0: So I, I want to get back to something you said, uh, what do you think is missing from from this that make made the kong and and relationship not really click with you
2: i think there's a it's almost like it's just okay boom too quick and you, you're supposed to just assume that there's an instant bond when there's not you know what i mean And and again it's you look at the 1933 film and, you know, Kong is infatuated with Anne. You know, Anne is terrified of him. Um, and again, the 76 film is, is a bit of a different animal in and of itself where they try to go in the route of, like, she eventually cares for him. But then, you know, you have the um, Naomi Watts version that she's a lot more, you know... There's a slow development, but there's actually, like, a okay, you know, you know, she sees he's a protector and he's actually, like, risking his life for her. So there's that element of, like, okay... He's had empathy for her, well, probably you know, one of the first times he's probably had empathy in his life for somebody or, or something, and he really kind of falls in love. And you can actually tell that they genuinely fall in love with this character. The problem is, is ultimately, the best actor in the play is the puppet. And it's really tough because I wanted to like the human characters. I wanted them to click. I wanted all of them to kind of work as a whole, as a story Because it's a story that, I mean, almost everybody knows the King Kong tale. What's missing ultimately is a sense of communication between the characters and a sense of mutual respect. It's just kind of like there. Nothing they say to each other. It's it's bonding. It's more just like random dialogue I feel like sometimes. Aside from like one or two sequences where I was like, okay, I can kind of get behind it. You just don't feel that and ultimately cares about this creature like truly truly deeply cares about this creature she feels bad about what she's done and you know she's i think she's more coming from the point of she doesn't want to be exploited in it herself or getting exploited on behalf of kong um in in you know kind of tinsel town and you know getting dolled up and having to perform in the stage which she's very much against because carl denham's kind of just churning out this big machine of a show that's that's ultimately the issue with the play i think is that had Anne and Kong really clicked, it would have been a totally different experience.
0: So you pretty much summarized the first act, uh, when we were doing our character run through and talking about denim, but, um, so yeah, run us through the rest of the play, uh, from, you know, Skull Island to New York to the end.
2: Well, one of the things that I really admire about the show is from a, stagecraft point of view and and design it's it's great um the sets are are awesome the way everything you kind of get this very clear sense of like gringy 1930s you know new york and, and stuff like that one of the most impressive uh setups i thought was the venture or i'm sorry the wanderer the ship because the set actually comes up from the floor on an incline as a boat and the actors are on stage and one of the things that this play does a lot of, um, only I think in this case is it's to its benefit. And at the end, when he's climbing the Empire State Building, everything else it's kind of irritating. There's a giant screen behind, which basically shows you know a three D version of like the waves. So you're actually getting a simulation of the waves while you're watching the thing. So it was really, really effective. Um, that set and everybody kind of was like, "Ooh and on!" Ah, like, but you when you get into the later part, Skull Island. It's very much a letdown, and I'll get to that in a second. But we're on the venture um, way, way, way too long. Um, there's at some point uh, a mutiny on board, which is, of course, they want to know where they're going. And Anglehorn and crew are more or less trying to go after Carl Denham, which um, and Arrow basically intervenes and basically, you know, saves him, so to speak. When we get to Skull Island, it's, and again, this is also one of my. Biggest, biggest, biggest criticisms with the play. You're on the venture. It's this very long period where you're starting to be like, all right, where the hell is the monkey going to show up? And you get this. go island. Boom. They're approaching the island. You see the fog banks coming in. You know, these giant mountainous rock ridges are coming at you. You're like, okay, cool. And then in the next setup, boom. Anne's tied up. She's in the jungle. And out comes Kong. It, like, skips this entire, like, segment of, like, exploring the island.
0: So, you, so, so, she's tied up, but from what I understand, from what I was reading, there's no natives.
2: Yeah, and this is what was very, very strange. So, you go into the sequence, and she's already tied up in these vines. Strung up pretty high. Carl Denham's in the corner with the camera he's shooting, and it appears... That the crew is, quote-unquote, acting as natives, and they're all in these, like, you know, boogeyman kind of, uh, you know, very much straw hay kind of things like we've seen in the original film where they've got these things covering their face. And, you know, and you're, you're thinking to yourself, or at least I was, are these the natives and we just skipped a scene, or are they acting? It's very unclear what's going on. She's hung up, and she's just like, what are we doing? What's going on? And all of a sudden you start hearing Kong. And the buildup to Kong coming out was was also really great because you just hear him and you you hear him breathing, you hear him moving, the trees knocking down. But the Skull Island setting in general is not uh, particularly very impressive. Um, it uses a lot of laser lights and the projection in the background, while it's not actually like a jungle setting, it's more of these like electric lights that are going off and these yellows and these greens. And it just it's kind of strange and I guess it's trying to simulate trees and maybe it's trying to be something... Very modern, um, but it just—it felt very abrupt. Like there should have been a, a scene there, but and all of a sudden Kong comes out and gets Ann, and then you know they're trying to basically go after him. You know, hmm. but they—they they stay very short on the island. The island sequence I thought could have been more interesting, been more there. Um, and then what was very interesting is you know we're all looking at the, the playbill and we're looking at it and you know we're like hmm. What's this cobra fight thing I see? And at a certain point, there there they actually do fight. There is a giant monster fight on Broadway. So that was (laughs) a bold thing. Very interesting, but not very effective. Um, So Kong fights a giant cobra in this movie. And it's very similar to the type of puppet that Kong is. They're very big. And they're huge on stage together. And the cobra is wrapping things, wrapping around Anne and stuff like that. And then they kind of go to, like, punch each other. And it's essentially kind of the fight you'd see in, like, a movie like, you know, One Million Million AC/DC, where they're just like, oh, oh, yeah, It's, like, yeah. a very uninspired fight. And because and, we all got charged up, we're like, yeah, this is awesome, this is great. And then you're just like, oh, yeah, that's kind of, yeah, you know. And I'm, I'm like, well, I guess they did the best that they could under the circumstances to, like, give us a, a monster-on-monster fight. So... You know, uh, Kong obviously wins. And then we're kind of off to the great, I guess, the area of the quote-unquote Great Wall, even though there is no Great Wall. And then Englehorn gas bombs Kong, and they they bring him back to New York. But one of the things that was very, very fascinating, uh, again, with different setups of the play, there's one particular point in the show where they're doing a set redressing and they're changing the sets around, and Kong just comes out. From behind the curtain, and I will tell you this: any time that puppet was on the stage, everybody went bonkers. I mean, it was so awesome because he is incredibly loud and impressive. I mean, it's just the amount of range he comes out. But he comes out at one point during the play, and he just starts like sniffing the people in front, and, like reacting to them, like "Oh, you smell almost." And like he'll go to reach them, and he's just like, "Ah, whatever," you know. He he's so. So multi expressive, and it was just so cool because the people in the front row started freaking out and started screaming because the puppet's starting to reach for them. <laughs> so in that regard, it was like, okay, this is like a really cool experience. And that's ultimately, I guess, my thought on the the entire play. But you know, intermission happens once Kong's capture happens. One of the things that this play also does, I think, a lot differently. And and again, maybe maybe it's just because other Broadway shows have it's better songs but i felt like this is the kind of play that they felt the need to sing everything for no reason it was just like after a while like oh god stop singing you know what i mean because it felt like they they every time they had like a thought they would sing about something and it just it didn't didn't work you know it just didn't ultimately like the songs kind of had no purpose to forward the story it was just like hey this is what i'm thinking i'm gonna sing about it so it, it's kind of distracting with that regard too. And it was funny during intermission because you, know, you start talking to the people next to you, you know, not just the crew I was with, but you know, just the strangers behind me and in front, and like people were kind of just like the same thing, like that's it's cool, but like I'm kind of scratching my head over like what's really going on. I felt like a bunch of beats were missing. So act two obviously we comes in where again, one of the other interesting things about this play, um, the ship you see it coming in and they're talking about unloading Kong also something we've never really seen in a, any incarnation of, of kong so that was kind of cool um and it kind of goes a little beat by beat like we would normally in in a kong story where you know denim's there he's 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 a lot more exploitational in this sense where he's trying to not only exploit and but the other actors in the play but one of the strange things about the play is As much as they're trying to stay in the 1930s setting, what I thought was very distracting at times, and this is just, this just could be me. This, you know, maybe this is just me. But all of a sudden, from a musical standpoint, they'll start playing like weird techno music every time Kong ran. The entire play was symphonic. (laughs) And all of a sudden, every time Kong ran, it was like, (laughs) and I was like, what? And it's and it's this very irritating techno music too. It's not even something you can say. Oh, that's kind of cool. It's just it's very very odd. And then like you'll have these musicals and these these girls, these dancers come out and like these like modern day girl cheerleading outfits. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure in the 1930s they weren't dressed that. That, That's a bizarre choice. (laughs) And it, it happens twice in the play. And I think also one of the things too, they 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 kind of had this sense of like slang sometimes, I thought. And I was like, I don't know if they talk like that in the 30s, something tells me. Like it just felt like they were trying to be modern with it, but at the same time, okay, we're in the 30s. And it just I kind of feel like you gotta choose one or the other. Are you gonna be modern or you're not? But it it was it's very distracting because Kong, you see him simulating getting running. And it's cool, but they have again, every time he runs There's just this this like laser light, like matrix bullet time flashes of like imagery that like pops around him. And it's just odd. And they play the same song every time he ran. And it kind of, after a while it got old. I was like, okay. And interesting thing too, um, talking about like from a technical perspective, Anne screaming in this version is really different. She doesn't have the, you know, the atypical blood curdling scream. It's almost like this very strange echo that, like, kind of gives you shrills. It's like, it, it, it was different. And they felt the need to kind of enhance her screaming every time she was on stage. Though so she didn't scream a whole lot. She kind of kind of went with the flow a little bit more of this particular end. She's like, all right, cool. Hey, Colin, this is your home. All right, you know, you yeah. know thanks for showing me a good time, you know, kind of sarcastically. She's, she's a lot more kind of tongue in cheek with, with the puppet. And I, I, again, getting back to, to that, I think, I think playing it up a little bit for the cheese factor doesn't, doesn't really work. Um, but again, getting back to, to beat by beat of what, what goes on with the play. Um, eventually Kong breaks out. I will say that sequence was really, really cool because, you know, he just basically, once you hear like, oh, Kong is on the loose, you know, he's on like on top of a building, like, you know, like almost like ripping things off. People are screaming around him. There's fires and stuff like that. And and that was particularly very cool. And then obviously he eventually finds Anne again and um, he starts to ascend to the Empire State Building. And, and the effect with the projection is actually very effective because it really simulates him going up the building. And then he gets to the top and you're thinking, OK, this is going to be like cool or sad. And you hear the biplanes coming in, and you see him looking around. And then all of a sudden, I don't know whether they forgot the sound effects or whatever. You see them like almost like um, like a retro video game, like these little itty bitty dots like coming at him. They start like shooting at him. And you start seeing him getting affected. But every time they shoot him, there's no sounds. It's just like <laughs> it's, it's entirely silent. And you see Kong is like ah, oh, and it's like he's supposed to be shot. And like it's just this like dead silence that doesn't work. There's no music, no nothing and it just it's kind of like it's a bizarre bizarre choice cuz you think even if you just heard the sound of the planes going by the sound of the the machine guns hitting kong kong roaring it would have just elevated that scene so much more and then once he falls off the building you know and just they break out into this oddly like happy musical number that just doesn't fit and it's like oh he's dead okay let's all be happy now (laughs) you know it just it's it's there's a lot of odd and weird choices in this play what sounds like a train wreck (laughs) (laughs) it's it's it it skirts the line of this is a hot mess i think you know and and it's sad because i i i really 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 wanted to love this play ultimately
0: So, it sounds like you weren't very thrilled with the 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 songs. Were there any that were good? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> and then I, mean,
2: I I'll be really honest. I mean, nothing is really catchy. Yeah. Um. Musically, y- you you don't. I mean, again, I think with any play, whether you know it or you don't, at least you feel like there was at least two or three songs. You are like, wow, that was absolutely. An amazing musical number from the dancers from the singing and the choreography with kong it's really not it's almost like there's no takeaway from it mm-hmm. you're just kind of like it's just it's there and it feels more like a filler like okay it's a musical so we gotta sing as opposed to it actually feeling organic and feeling a part of the story
0: well yeah it almost sounds like since there is so much singing they should have focused all their energy into writing like just a few handfuls of really good songs instead of like a million songs for every second of the, of the thing.
2: Yeah. It was almost like, um, I, while well, like, I didn't see Sp- Spider-Man turn off the dark. I did hear some of the songs and like, I remember listening to them and I was like, Oh God, this, this just sounds so hokey. Like that's kind of the same vibe when I heard the songs in the play. Nothing, nothing really stayed with me.
0: Yeah. Um, no, it's. It, I, it sounds like there's a lot of good ideas. Like, because some of the stuff I'm hearing is stuff that's. I love the ideas, but yeah, the, I I love the idea of recontextualizing Anne by making her black and just removing, the Jack Driscoll character. I, I saw one review that said this is more like a modern Disney princess version of Anne. You know, she's very much of her own agency, and you know, she makes all of her own decisions and. Uh, and I love that. Like, ugh, I don't think we need another version of this story on film. But if we did, I think that's the best way to take that character. But yeah, I mean, if it doesn't really sound like they did too much to exploit those.
2: No, and, and it's sad because it's it's a missed opportunity. I think, and it, it's a, it was a chance to do something unique, and it just I, I don't I don't know what. And again, it's hard to pinpoint. Is it is it wrong? writing, is it wrong direction you know, it's, it's hard to kind of say how you know, is it a wrong ensemble, do they not click all together you know, it, it, it's, it's kind of hard to yeah, I guess point the finger, I mean it just it just ultimately just makes you say eh, you know, that was an okay play and you know, and you don't want to come away from a Broadway show like that. you want to have that feeling of, you know, wow I mean, I remember a few months ago I went to go see uh, uh, what the hell was it um Hello Dolly, and it was just fantastic. Just I mean Bernadette Peters, it was everybody was just absolutely amazing. And you just felt really good coming out of the theater. You felt really charged up. With Kong, you kind of were just like, Well, the puppet was awesome. But yeah, yeah, that was that was it. You know? Yeah and and that's that's kind of that was
0: disappointing. Yeah, there are ways to like modernize the more uncomfortable aspects of the original king kong and i think for Anne that was a good i actually think like in skull island i like the natives have always been one of the more like uncomfortable queasy outdated things in king kong and i i loved the the version in the the movie skull island where like they're this pacifist kind of you know these peace-loving natives instead of these like crazy like savages, yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a shame that they, I don't know, they didn't do much with some of these new ideas.
2: It is. Um, I, I think it's it's a it's a massive experiment for Broadway. Um, it's it's something you will ne- you've never seen again. You know, Little Shop of Horror, seeing it years ago, it was a, it was a different experience because it's a bit established play and you know it, it, it works it's a fun story it's a, it's a great play it's a lot of fun and, and i think that's one of the things that kong is missing it's, it's missing that like fun aspect it just it it doesn't know what it wants to be
0: yeah um yeah that's that's uh, kind of a shame. I will say, though, I mean, just from the clips I've seen uh, and the behind the scenes stuff and hearing you talk about it, like, if this came, if, if they did this show here where I am, I would still go. Like, I, yeah, yeah I would, like, I mean, I just, the, the, I, this puppet is really is amazing. And I encourage anyone to, to check out YouTube, uh, videos or behind the scenes stuff. Um, uh, and I mean, I knowing full well that the rest of it isn't very good, I would go just to see this this big oh, kong. without a doubt and I mean, for me, where I was sitting, it was
2: it was pretty towards the back of you know the higher mezzanine areas, and you know again it's it's different when you're watching the videos because you really can see the details in the face, the the brow moving, you know the chin, everything just like and you can see the you know the very different emotions well it, it was still there on the play. Seeing it up close on a video, it, it, it it's pretty awesome. Because I, I went back and rewatched a lot of those things just to kind of hear it. And I, you know, I try to go back and hear like you know, maybe it was just me. Maybe it was just like it was that first time experience. And like I, I try to listen to the songs again. And
0: it just it just didn't
2: click.
1: I mean, your your feelings are very much what I see. Pretty much everybody. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's almost <laughs> universal. Like because I looked through quite a bit of reviews, Matt. I know you looked at quite a few also, and. I got a—the best ones were ones saying, it's okay. I, I, didn't, I didn't get anyone—I got a couple that were just like, yeah, it's terrible. Some were like, it's okay. But I didn't get any of them, anybody saying, like, they really love it.
1: The Observer has a, a review that's titled, King Kong on Broadway is a $35 million crime Against puppets?
2: <laughs> oh come yeah. on! I read that review. That was it was amusing. It it's nothing skewered else. Skewered it. Don't blame like the puppets. Any... <laughs> no, and I mean that's it's honestly, and I mean again, kudos to uh, to that company, um, creature. Was it creature uh, global, it's a creature design. The global creatures. Yeah, global, global yeah. creatures. Because uh, it's a forest. It's it's so massive, and it 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 works in so many ways. And again, in an era where we're unfortunately always seeing and there's nothing wrong with 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 cg creatures but having a practical thing that you know is there you can touch it it exists it's being acted by a, a team of people it's brilliant to see and it's just it's so cool um it definitely you know gives you the nerd vibe i'll, I'll tell you that much and especially because i know you guys like me are very very big king kong fans so um it's definitely like you you're like okay this this thing is kong i, I believe it I don't walk away from this saying It was, you know, the biggest, crappiest, biggest piece of shit I ever saw in my life. But it's like, you know, see it for yourself. If, if you're, if you are in town, if you're able to be local, if you're a fan of films like this, it's check it out. You know, I mean, obviously don't break your bank and spend a thousand dollars on a ticket. <laughs> right. But, within reason. Yeah. Within reason. But I mean, if, if you get the chance to see it go, I mean, ultimately I'm happy. I saw it. I had fun in the experience in the moment. Um, you know, just seeing it with, with, you know, like-minded friends and 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 fans of, of the genre, but it, you know, it could it have been better? H- hell yeah, <laughs> um, but you know, for what it is, you know, if nothing else from a from a effects point of view, it's it's really brilliant. Not so much anything else, but
0: it. What is the worst play you've seen? oof that's a tough one is it better than is is it this <laughs>
2: <laughs> it this is definitely up there with like the ones i've probably enjoyed the least okay
0: but you don't think you you've seen worse you think um it, let's 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 call it a tie <laughs> okay
2: you know it's 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 definitely not something that i was like wow i mm. absolutely positively love that and like i need to tell people to go see it like that like are not fans of king kong
0: yeah no i'd go and i i don't know i've never seen like a big lavish play like i've seen like some local stuff uh like when i was a kid um i saw i've seen evil dead the musical twice here and uh, for as much like effects heavy stuff that they do there. It's still like a tiny, like rinky dink production. I've never seen anything of this scale. So I'd like to.
2: Yeah. I mean, especially liking Kong. I mean, it's, it's an experience. It's almost like, you know, I think for any of us, if, you know, if you've gone to universal studios and, you know, you've rode the, especially the old King Kong, right? It was just like this really awesome, cool thing, even though it was a giant animatronic, Puppet is great. I mean, obviously, the new one is all mostly CG, yeah, but those rides were so cool. They were, they were, and it, it kind of gives you that sense of like nostalgia. You're like, you kind of are, are like that childish giddiness. You're like, oh, that's really cool, that's awesome. But, um, I just again, it, it's it's just for me, it, it was very disappointing that it didn't hold up on a story perspective. Yeah,
1: yeah, Chris. We got to ask you how many, uh, What's a good scale for this bird? You always think of the good ones.
0: Uh, <laughs> how many uh, clumsy cobra fights <laughs> 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 out of five would you would you give uh, Kong on Broadway? Uh, probably say
2: two, two out of okay. five.
0: Okay, that's think, fair. Yeah, you
2: know it's for nothing else. I think kudos to. The amazing team of puppeteers because they really they hold your attention and honestly it was speaking to the people you know you, you talk to people in the lobby afterwards hey what would you think and you know people said the same thing like, any time he was on the stage I, I was there my attention was there everything else I didn't really care about you know but like I, 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 every time that puppet came on stage like it demanded audience attention and it it got people really stirring it got people screamed people shouted in excitement, some were terrified, which is kind of funny, but people just loved it, they ate it up, Um, and again, as with all Broadway shows, they're, you know, the ushers are yelling at you, don't videotape, don't do this, don't do that, and you could see as soon as the puppet came on, a million glowing screens came on, and people were taking videos and pictures (laughs) of the thing, you know, which is very annoying, I I was sitting in front of some people that, like, it was four of them in a row, and like, They, I I sat down and it was like, okay, great. These people are shorter than me, great. And then all of a sudden, they got booster buddies, and then they're like taller than me. And I was like, ah, damn it, you know. So you're trying to like look over their heads, like you know, try to get a a sense of really seeing the stage. But um, people, people didn't care. They were just like click, 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 click. You know, they they wanted to kind of save that and like put that on social, I guess, just to you know say, hey, this is where I am. And again, it's it's not. Totally totally unwatchable, but it's certainly not very good,
0: okay cool um, matt you uh you got anything
1: I mean, no, we kind of covered everything yeah. i like like you said, I would still definitely go watch it just because of the prop, but also knowing that it's not very good,
0: yeah, but I mean, if anything that says that speaks to how cool it is. And I mean, we might sound dumb to anyone <laughs> listening, but uh, I mean, if they actually, if I would encourage those people to actually go and like, look at this thing. Cause it's, it's really a sight to behold. And uh, the
1: videos out there are pretty awesome. They're, they're everywhere. So they're just quick Google search. You can see the, the
2: prop. And it's, I think a game changer in a sense for Broadway, because it, I think it allows more fantastical stories to be told. I mean, granted, you know, stuff like Harry Potter and all these other there's been a lot of things that you would never imagine are like coming to Broadway like I know for example Beetlejuice is now coming to Broadway like all these plays you would never think like okay that's going to be the Broadway incarnation of that story I think this allows for more things of that nature you know Mm -hmm. now if they were to do a Godzilla play I kind of hope they wouldn't make it a musical just make it a play you know (laughs) with a really cool puppet but I don't I don't know if we'll ever see that but Stranger Things Have Happened this is true.
0: Um, well, I guess um, now we'll, we'll kind of play us out with, um, Chris, your uh, friends that you went with uh, are um, going to be kind enough to provide some, some quick uh, reviews and their thoughts, and uh, I think we can play us out with that. Um, so uh, who, do we, who do we have in this, in this group here? We
2: have George
0: Taylor. Chris Canali
2: and Abel Alfonso.
0: All right. So they'll be providing a little
2: short excerpt and uh,
0: all right. Yeah. Hear so thoughts as well, just to give it a different perspective. All right. Yeah. So we'll, we'll close with those. Thoughts on the Kong Broadway play. We got to see it on the first preview night. I found Kong to be loud and boisterous. Uh, he was pretty cool watching the puppeteers use him. Uh, the musical numbers were a little overdrawn for me. I'm not a big musical guy, but I, I enjoy musicals, but there was a lot of that uh, the... The play was set more like it was modern. Uh, it felt like, while it was set in the era of 1931, it felt like it was if it was done now, uh, with those morales and arrays of the world. Uh, so not everybody will like that. Uh, I'm hearing the word PC being thrown by others, but I, I would recommend people to see the play for themselves. Uh, I enjoyed it. I got a kick out of it. As I said, thought Kong was interesting. It's an interesting, unique design, and people should see and talk about it, and if they think it should be done differently, then we should talk about that and say, hey, let's have a different approach for something like this in the future.
3: Thanks. Hi, this is Chris Canale. I'm recording this for Kaiju Transmissions uh, podcast for the new King Kong Broadway play. to give my review on it. This is going to be a spoiler-free, so I'm not going to try and give any details that may be uh, ruining the experience for anyone who hasn't seen it yet and wants to see it for themselves, though. So what I thought about this play was that it's very mixed between being faithful to the original, but at the same time bringing new changes. It's still overall very similar to what we've seen as children growing up watching the original black-and-white version, but it brings some new twists in there that are nicely appreciated. And I think that overall, it's really good. It's worth your time, and if you had the chance to see it on Broadway or somewhere else nearby you, it's worth your time to watch it. I think the songs are a little bit too many, but at the same time it's a Broadway play, so what can you expect from that at that point? I think overall the pacing for it is good. The songs don't go too long, Uh, they're very brief, but the ones that are catchy, you'll remember them. I think the first act is a little bit weaker, personally speaking, than the second act, but. I think there's more going on in the second act than the first act, which is why it uh, resonates resonates more with me better. The highlight, of course, for this show is, of course, the uh, Kong marionette, or puppet. Uh, It's phenomenal. I saw videos of it before seeing the play, and I was impressed then. Seeing it in motion on the stage is even more impressive. That is the definitely height of the show. One of the things I would recommend, though, if you do watch this Broadway play, do not sit in the front audience. Of the front, not front audience, there. Uh, the front row. Uh, it is massive. It's I think actual life size to the original Kong. So you really want to be as far back as you can. Me, Chris Oyo, and a friend of ours, George Taylor, when we were watching it, we were actually very far into the back on the second level, really in almost kind of nosebleed section, and. It definitely helps seeing it from that kind of a height because you get a better grand perspective of the stage as well as it's interacting with the other props on the stage. Even the actors I thought were very good as well. I love the actress who played Anne as well as everyone else. I thought they did a very good job. I was thoroughly impressed. The only real negative that I would think I would have to say is just that sometimes the first act does drag a bit. Um, but that's really more of a nitpick than anything else. Uh, if you have the chance, definitely go watch it. It's worth your time.
4: Hey everyone at the Kaiju Transmissions Podcast. This is Abel Alfonso speaking, a listener of your podcast and friend of fellow Kaiju fan Chris Olio. Back in October of this year, I had the pleasure of attending an early preview of the recent King Kong musical on Broadway with my friend Chris Olio. Based on initial images and advertising, the play seemed very promising. After all, how in the world would the producers of the play transform one of the most beloved adventure films of all time into a musical on stage? Surely enough, I attended the theater of curiosity and open-mindedness. Unfortunately, the end result I saw that night on Broadway was a very mixed bag. The overall production values were top-notch and should not be overlooked. The costumes and set pieces were quite lovely, and the main actors all played their respective roles very passionately. The opening musical number set the stage and tone for 1930's New York City in the midst of the Great Depression, but it was the only memorable song in the whole play. Without a doubt, the best element of the show was the eighth wonder of the world himself. The 25-foot-tall King Kong puppet was a true marvel to watch. The enormous prop easily and convincingly expressed emotions of rage, power, strength, compassion, and sadness. Kong was the true star to root for. All of this may sound promising, but the story itself is plagued with issues in its narrative. The plot spends too much time on the boat setting, and doesn't build up the legend and mystery of Kong as any of the other films did. The lack of natives on Skull Island causes a confusing jump in story continuity where Ann Darrow is tied up to a pillar all of a sudden with no major explanation. In addition, the character of Carl Denham is turned into a real jerk by the end of the play who frequently disagrees and argues with the other characters, which greatly contrasts Robert Armstrong's original and far more likable performance in the original 1933 film. Lastly, the musical score was my biggest complaint I had with the play. Instead of using a classic orchestral score that would complement the visuals in this iconic Beauty and the Beast tale, the music producers instead inserted wildly inappropriate electronic dance music that you would hear at a nightclub throughout most, most of the big action scenes. And the green electric laser lights thrown in during some of the jungle scenes didn't make any things better. In the end, this play had exciting potential to bring out an interpretation of an old favorite, but sadly, it turned out to be a disappointment. The production does have its highlights, but the distracting music choices and the flow of the story overshadowed the positives. The King Kong puppet is alone worth seeing in person, and I do recommend any Kong fans in the New York area to at least check out this play once. Hopefully, future iterations of this musical will respond to these criticisms and resolve said problems for the better
0: and uh no chris uh this has been a lot of fun uh talking about this um uh you really i think set set a realistic expectation for anyone out there um that, that wants to go and and check it out anyone uh in new york that uh, or going to new york that um uh is interested i, I think you paint a realistic picture for the, the good and the bad. And, uh, um, yeah, anyone that, that checks it out, feel free to let us know what you thought. And, um, yeah, I, we'll, we'll try and post some more videos and articles and stuff on our uh, Facebook page um, just so you get a, an idea of what uh, Chris is talking about. And, um, yeah, I think, I think we're good to, to wrap up. Uh, Matt, do you have any, any lingering questions or comments?
1: I mean, we got it all. Thanks, Chris, for for coming on, as always.
0: Oh, no,
2: thanks for having me. It's It's always a pleasure hanging out with you guys and and talking about uh, different things. So thanks again for having me. Appreciate it.
0: All right, awesome. Thank you.